Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Who are you? Let me just ask you that again. Who are you? Here's 
the diamond of it all. Knowing how you actually want to feel is the most potent form of clarity that you can have. And generating those feelings is the most powerfully creative thing that you can do with your life. It is your birthright to have your desires fulfilled. Every desire is a prayer. Desire is the underpinning of manifestation.
Our thoughts become things goes deeply into the nuances of personal reality creation content that has yet to be committed to film. And he's brought along a few friends, such as Bob Proctor, Dennis Whiteley, John DeMartini, Joe Vitale, John Asaroff, Marie Diamond, Travis Fox, and so many more. Doug has also researched the success strategies from business leaders and major companies to share their success secrets on film and in his book. Now, ABC Television and Fox Business refer to him as the modern-day Napoleon Hill. He's a regular featured expert on CNN, ABC, Fox, NBC, and much more. Currently, his program, Personal Power Mastery, is rated as number three in the world for the most powerful development seminars. And he recently authored the international best-selling book, Personal Power Mastery. Let's welcome Doug today as we explore how thoughts become things. Doug, I'm so looking forward to our conversation. How come Doug didn't find me for that interview? I'm a thought master. (laughs) (laughs) I would have loved to find you. (laughs) I know. It would have been perfect. (laughs) Well, maybe next time. I'm sure this isn't the last film I'm going to make, but it's definitely so far been my favorite. It's absolutely incredible what we're able to do with this film. But, yeah, thank you for having me, by the way. Oh, we're happy to have you. So congratulations on How Thoughts Become Things. And I understand it set a viewership record for the first 24 hours of release, surpassing, like, The Secret. What made you want to make this film is my question. And why did you actually choose the title, How Thoughts Become Things? Well, I appreciate you asking that. And I guess the best way to answer it, my background, which you sort of alluded to in my introduction spent time with more than 400 of the world's top business leaders and entrepreneurs around the world. And I didn't come from the same background, obviously, of success that they had. And as I spent time with them, I just saw my thoughts changing, right? And I guess my feelings even about myself elevated, so did my results. And so I really felt that that needed to be told, needed to be shared, but not just kind of saying that we all hear your thoughts become things, but really to answer the question as to how, like how does it occur? So that was really the genesis of the film. We've had so much fun making it, but what's even more exciting is we're starting to see amazing results with the people viewing it, the same as I experienced in my own life. So to me, that's really mission accomplished in my mind. So in terms of something you said that struck me was when you started to hang around a certain group of people, your thoughts started to change. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? I think it's kind of interesting because most of the time when we talk about our thought, the default sort of mode that most people go to is they say, you know, I came from a tough family. I came from a difficult circumstance. That's my programming and that's who I am. And I guess I'm just consigned to this terrible fate that was thrust upon me from the beginning. That's really disempowering. In fact, anytime we make an excuse, we're really just giving our power away. And what I found to be more true is that your programming didn't end when you were like three or five or six or whatever is very popular to talk about. The truth is, is your programming is ongoing. Even today, even those who are listening to this show are currently being programmed. So I guess an easy way to explain it is you've heard the saying that said, we become like the five people we spend the most time with. Could exactly, you not right? scare me? My mother is with yeah. me. Do not scare me. <laughs> there you go. But we often focus on that idea of the five people, but what mm. we don't focus on is that word spend. And spend is the present tense, not the past. So in other words, those that we spent, meaning past tense time with, who shaped us, don't necessarily define our future. In fact, 
people we're spending our time with now have a much greater influence and impact on who we'll become. And we generally rise to the standards of our peers. And so I think it's really important that as we recognize kind of what's the biggest thing that's going to give us a shift in our thought, it's really a good question to ask, what are we allowing to influence us now? And not just people, but everything from social media to kind of like what you talked about earlier, but with the news and all the other things going on, what are we really allowing to influence us? Yeah, well, what if you can't get away some people? A friend of mine, very well-known, very popular, very wealthy, married for 25 years, his wife was always depressed and down and out. She couldn't get away from her. What do you say to folks who are surrounded by, let's say, kids or in-laws or spouses that really is on a completely opposite level than where you are? Yeah, and that's a brilliant question. I guess just to kind of frame my answer, the first thing that I would say is that much of what we're taught by many of the gurus of today is incorrect. As I went out and I interviewed 400 of the world top achievers, as you can imagine, after 400 people, there's some very common markers that appear. And I really do hate to say it, but most of what's being taught by coaches and speakers out there right now is not correct. In fact, most of the time they've read someone else's book and they're sharing their opinion of it. They haven't ever really experienced success on themselves. So as I have gone out and actually spent time with the real people who've accomplished and created success, The thing that's interesting is that saying that we've often heard is separate yourself from toxic people and eliminate toxic people from your life. That's actually incorrect. In fact, the truth of the matter is, is yes, we should eliminate abusers from our life, but most of the time when we label someone as toxic, that's our ego speaking. In fact, there's really only two kinds of negative people. There's a complainer, which quite frankly, you know, they generally don't offer anything of value. They're just complaining about whether it's the weather or the sports team or the way the economy is or the marketplace. But the truth is, is you have a choice. You can subscribe to that or you can say that's not thing that I believe to be true. But it really takes a certain level of clarity up front for you to decide that you will either engage or not engage. And the truth of the matter is, is if you look at top achievers when it comes to this idea of toxic people, they don't run from them just like they don't run from problems. They learn how to manage them and they learn how to become bigger than the problem. So you need to decide ahead of time who you are and what your mission is. Now, the other kind of toxic person is what we call a critic. And the truth of the matter is, is a critic does often have valuable things to say. Sometimes they've got suggestions or advice or things that they observe from the outside that, quite frankly, you can't see. And oftentimes the things that you're doing are not working for you. The only difference between maybe a critic and someone that we're willing to listen to easily is, in fact, Critics are often not great communicators. So when they share something with us that we need to know or that we need to adjust or change, sometimes they just don't share it in a way that our ego is willing to receive. And so our feelings are hurt, and therefore we label that person as toxic. What top achievers have that's different than most people who cling to their ego and label everyone toxic is that they're teachable. And if you want to become successful, if you want to achieve greater expansion in your life, if you want to become more, you must be teachable, which means that sometimes you must be willing to have your feelings hurt to recognize that you're doing something the wrong way. And quite frankly, sometimes when those people share that with you, they love you, they care about you, but they just don't know how to communicate it in a sensitive way that gets through to you. So I think we need to be really careful about separating ourselves from people who might be actually a power to us rather than a detriment. 
Now, naturally, yeah. going back to this idea of connecting with the five people, those people are a choice, and you can decide to find additional people in addition to either the complainers or the critics in your life that you really are going to try to emulate and that you're going to take on as mentors or support. But I think it's really important that we don't dismiss those that make us feel bad because it could sometimes be the best thing that could happen to us. Yes, I get that. I think the critics are sometimes your greatest gift, actually. I don't want to go much in comparing your beautiful movie to The Secret, but I want to ask you about, we do hear a lot about the law of attraction. So how does the law of attraction work? with regards to thoughts, and what are the steps between thoughts and manifesting things? Well, I think that that's a very broad question that could take us a long time to answer for most people, but I'd like to keep it kind of simple. Here's the thing that's interesting about thoughts. Our brain actually sorts our information and our thoughts in very unique ways. In other words, all the thoughts that come to us do not become things, and thank goodness for that. First of all, there's a negative and a positive on every thought. In fact, all thoughts have a dual nature. And let me maybe just explain what I mean by that. So if you've got the desire to say, for example, become an entrepreneur or start a business, right away you get this exhilarating thought of inspiration that says you could do this. There would be freedom involved, increased profits. You'd have the ability to share your gifts with the world. This could be a really good thing. But right beside it, the negative thought will be part of that dual thought, and it will come and say, you can't do it. You don't have the experience. You've never done this before. You don't have the knowledge, the know-how, the connections, or fill in the blank. All of these things appear, right? So as that positive and negative thought arrives, where does it go next? Generally, it arrives in what I call the nest, which is essentially your programming. And if you're surrounded by people who are negative or people who don't believe in you or you've got past experience that shows you you've never been able to do this or whatever it is, as that dual thought lands, the negative side of it immediately gains more power. However, if you've got the opposite, where you've got a supportive group and you've got positive people and you've got experiences that have demonstrated this and you've got a belief system that you can do it, all of a sudden the powerful thought receives more power. Now, that's not enough to get you started because we all have great ideas that we're like, yes, I could do this, and we feel excited, and our intuition tells us we're on track. But it isn't until two other elements come into place that we really are able to use that thought. One is emotion. Emotion is the fuel that actually ignites all thoughts. And if we feel genuinely excited and empowered by it, we'll start to do something about it. And that's really the next step is that we make a decision. And if our brain sees that we can do, not that we could do, but that we can do something, we make a decision, then we get started. Now, the one powerful thing about decision that most people forget is there's no such thing as decision until there is an action attached. And action is actually what creates momentum. And momentum of a thought, like when it's in motion, when the thought's moving forward, more emotion can be created. In fact, the American psychologist William James said that motion precedes emotion. And I think that that's a really interesting observation. So when we get going with something and we can start to see that the fruits of our actions actually are beneficial or at least bringing us a feeling of value that we're starting to make things happen, the emotion gets more intense and we can carry on. What are some of the factors that are influencing the thoughts in terms of the negative ones? I mentioned it earlier, actually, how those negative influences tend to come in to sabotage your good thoughts. I mean, what do we do with those? Because sometimes they're uncontrollable, Doug. And I think that's a great observation. The truth of the matter is is I think there's been a really big misunderstanding when it comes to the law of attraction. 
traditionally people have said, well, you've got to have positive mental attitude. You've got to think positive thoughts. You've got to stay focused on the good. You've got to completely be pristine and powerful and proactive and all these kinds of things. Well, that's exhausting, and that's also not possible for a human. The reality is is the majority of our thoughts, in fact, I would say probably a high 90% of them are reactive. In other words, our thoughts respond first to our environment, and that's, again, why it's important to surround ourselves with good things to influence us. In fact, let's do a little experiment here. If I were to say the word dog, and all the listeners right now are thinking of a dog, the truth is, is until I brought up that word, that was the furthest thing from your mind. You had no idea or intention to think about a dog during this interview, but right now you're thinking about a dog. And so thoughts respond to the stimulus that it receives. Now, here's where the big benefit comes in. If we make a decision ahead of time, and that's important, and we get clear, in other words, a goal that is specific and clear becomes attainable and near. When we can have a clear thought of what we want to do and what we want to create before the moment arrives, we can actually begin to establish boundaries around what we will allow to influence us in terms of negativity or other distractions or something that will split our focus, right? You know, the thing that's interesting is positive and negative are occurring around us all the time, but that clarity allows us to cling to what will empower us and take us to the next level. I think one of the biggest challenges that most people have, it's not even necessarily the negative that pulls them off track. It's sometimes even good intentions that pull us off track. For example, how many times have you been sitting at home trying to work, and you know you've got the work to do, but all of a sudden someone comes in the room and says, can you help me with this? Well, you've got good intentions to help, and they hijack kind of your activity, your energy, what you were doing. So their fire suddenly becomes your emergency. And why does that happen? I'm not saying don't help people, but I'm saying sometimes we need to set boundaries around what we're doing for the greater good in order to keep that greater good going and not sacrifice sometimes at petty things that come along and pull us off kilter. What is it kind of like Stephen Covey said? The need to learn how to put first things first. And I think sometimes we let the little things pull us off of the more important things. It's a growing process, isn't it, Doug? Indeed it is, and it begins with awareness. Yeah, because so many of us have these high ideals and high thoughts, but the drive just isn't there. I mean, why do so many people have a hard time creating with their thoughts? I know you've answered it, but okay, I'm going to give you a joke. I used to race cars when I was young because my dad used to race cars as a hobby. And so I love cars. And when Elon Musk launched Tesla, I wanted a Tesla more than anything else in the world. I saw the price tag and I was like, wow, I could feed a whole village in India for 10 years. (laughs) Like these were my thoughts, right? Like I could literally do that. Then the other aspect that came up was that somebody actually bought a Tesla and then gave me a key. And then they said, this is for you. I said, there is no way I can accept that. Your wife has to approve it. So I pushed it back. Short story, Mm. I never got the Tesla, but I still love them profusely. Why did my thought not create something that I feel I deeply deserve? Well, I'm going to actually pull the answer out of not my movie, How Thoughts (laughs) Become Things, but in my last movie, The Treasure Map. Now, in that movie, we talk about the mindset and also the strategies required to create abundance and wealth. And John Martini, who's probably my best friend, said something very interesting in that film. He said that everyone is wealthy, 
It just appears in the form that we value most. Now, that's kind of an interesting observation because if you think about it, many times when we're becoming things, there's lots of things that we want. And that old saying that says you can have your cake and eat it too, no, you can't. And with everything, you'll have to make a trade, if you will, because you can't be in two places at once. You can't create two things generally at once. Oftentimes, to create great magnitude will require some sacrifices. And for most people, they are very happy making the choices they make because that's what they value most. In fact, our mind and our efforts generally go always to what we value most. And by the way, if we can't see the value in something, it often requires a lot of motivation for us to get started. If we can't see the value, we turn to procrastination and we shift our creativity to excuses rather than solutions. And we look for ways to sort of find, how should we say, a place to stay until we do discover value. And so Mm. my feelings probably about that story with Tessa is you found it interesting. You found it exciting, but you didn't really find it valuable compared to the other options that you had. Had you found it to be of most value, that's where your efforts and your direction would have gone. So tell me, when you've been in a particular place in your life where you knew the right thoughts to have, and we've all been there, Doug, you know you shouldn't be thinking what you're thinking, but you are down the road, you're not able to exit. Boy, have we been there. What have you remembered doing that as much as you knew about thoughts, what did you do as you were going down a road that you know you shouldn't be going? How did you eventually exit and move on to another dimension? It's kind of interesting that you even use the analogy of a road, the exit that keeps going into your mind. And one of the kind of, <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because if we think about it, we can even see examples of when we're driving, how quickly our thoughts can change from happy to somebody cuts us off and we're mad. And then 10 minutes later, we're either still fuming about it or we've let it go, right? And so I think awareness is a really important key. Let me maybe just share something that it's much easier to say than to do, but I think it's important to talk about. You've heard the saying that says happiness is a choice. And again, this is one of those things that gurus repeat often again and again and again, and I think they've got it wrong. Again, had they been out and done the interviews that I've done, they would see that there's some flaws in that kind of thinking. Happiness is not a choice. In fact, a couple of months ago, I was actually speaking at a maximum security prison in North Carolina. As you can imagine, in a maximum security prison, there's people that are not just naughty, but there's people that have done some incredibly terrible things. And as I was talking to one of the gentlemen there who happened to be a murderer multiple times, he said to me, you know, at the time, I thought I was making a good choice. (laughs) I thought I was doing the best thing for my circumstances. Now, the interesting thing is is that we can pretty much guarantee that any choice, and I'm not specifically speaking about murder here now, but any choice that's based on immediate gratification is generally wrong. So, therefore, we know that happiness isn't always a choice. Now, let's think about this definition. Happiness is not just making a choice, but it's being pleased with the consequences that arrive. Now, the interesting thing is, is obviously these people in prison made a choice that led to consequences that took away their freedom, that hurt and injured their family, that changed the course of their lives, and for some of them, they won't get a redo on that. So if we think about it, when we're making our choices, when we're having our thoughts, and we're looking at the things that really will have a big impact on our future, I think it's important that we consider the choices. And the more that we can look at a choice and recognize a few things. One, are we happy with the choice? And number two, does that choice allow us to continue to expand? In other words, to make more choices and to grow and expand. 
I kind of love what Stephen Covey said. Stephen Covey once said, many people climb the ladder of success only to find that it's leaning against the wrong wall. So I think it's really important that we get our consequences sorted out and then we can start to recognize choices. Again, it becomes from clarity at the beginning and an awareness. And once we get really clear and we confidently understand where we want to go, oftentimes it's easy to make boundaries around what would take us away. And I think that's really important. Beautiful. Perfectly said. Really wonderful. So how are things for you now with the pandemic and all of the changes that have taken place in not only our personal lives in the United States, but also around the world. What new things are you doing now? It's interesting that you mention that because everyone, I think, has had to really learn how to pivot. Right now, I'm considered the number one passive income coach in the world because I'm doing over 10 figures annually in passive income. So not a lot has really shifted for me, except that, quite thankfully, I get to spend more time with my family and I get to do less time traveling. Well, I like the traveling, so don't get me wrong, but being with my family is probably a biggest blessing. Now, the interesting thing is, is what I've seen for a lot of people is there's been two different sort of reactions to what's going on in the pandemic. One, some people have embraced it and said, this is the perfect time to reset and to reinvent and to realign. And there's a lot of things in the world that are supportive. For example, my boss at work understands I can't come in. So he's allowed me to kind of do things differently. And the truth is, is I believe that's a step up for many people. Actually reading a recent report on real estate in downtown cores where there's offices and things, most downtowns are turning into ghost towns because companies understand that they can have people be just as successful at home and they don't need to pay the high rents that are associated with it or the commutes and everything else. Can we pause? I'd like to hear your wisdom on that. What do you think will be the projection for companies downtown and all these big corporate offices that now people are just as productive at home, if not even more, than when they were in the company. In the next, let's say, five years, what's your projection? I think commercial real estate is going to plummet like crazy, and I think the vacancies are going to be insane for office buildings and so forth. And I think that the owners of those buildings are going to literally be giving that property away as long as they can get the taxes covered and the utilities covered because they're carrying a lot of expenses now. Just chatting with a gentleman yesterday who does work in oil and gas but used to work downtown in oil and gas. And his particular company basically had high expenses with a multi-floor building with thousands of employees that are in there. Well, they're finding everyone can do the work from at home and they're saving millions of dollars every year by having everybody at home. I don't think there's any incentive for them to come back to a building. There's no reason for it. So I think downtowns are going to be ghost towns. Other than (laughs) the absolute necessities of people to work in a specific location, it's going to change. For example, I think healthcare workers, they're always going to work in a hospital. People who are at a fixed location like an airport, they're always going to work there. But people that were working, for example, in a downtown building in order to sell insurance or to take financial planning or as mortgage brokers or you fill in the blanks. There's just no reason for them to be there, so they won't. You'll find those buildings empty. What do you think is going to do good in the next five years? Well, you know, I think everything still will do well. There's not going to be a lot of shift in, I think, consumer buying patterns because there's certain things that we all need and certain things that we all enjoy. But I think the direction and how we're going to receive them will change. I think you're going to see things like Amazon, especially their home delivery stuff, absolutely thrive. I think you're going to see organizations like Netflix absolutely thrive. In fact, I think that, you know, digital entertainment online, 
may end up killing the movie industry traditionally in terms of the yeah. theatrical releases and things, just because people won't feel comfortable going together as groups. Even when the pandemic is over, I think this has put enough fear into people that they're not necessarily going to stay worried about COVID, but they're going to worry, what's the next thing? So I think a lot of industries are going to have to really reinvent themselves in a hurry. And it hurts me because I love movies and I love the movie theater, but I think it's going to go the way of blockbuster video. (laughs) I think that Mm. people are going to say there's an easier way to do this. They're going to watch their film at home and probably invest in just bigger TVs. So they'll have the theatrical (laughs) experience, so to speak, at home. Plus, if you think about it, there's been a complaint for years, which is really funny that I hear from a lot of my movie friends. Why would I watch a movie in the theater when I've got to get up and go to the restroom or maybe go buy some more treats where at home I can just put the movie on pause where there I'm going to miss parts and I paid for it. So it's tough. But yeah, I think that there's a lot of industries that will thrive and many that will stay the same. And I also think because of the ease of delivery and now the acceptance of accepting things through the internet or using things like Uber Eats or Skip the Dishes or where food can come. And I think the cost of doing business is going to go down for a lot of people. And so profits will increase or they'll allow themselves to be more competitive. So I think we're going to see some really great shifts for those that know how to adapt. But those that kind of are the dinosaurs that are slow in the uptake and that aren't ready to do it, they're going to just completely disappear. It's interesting because I have two museums in the nation's capital, and they were thriving. And they've been closed now for four months. Economically, we're okay so far. You know, we've been doing a lot of online programs now. And it's still left up to me now. Do we keep them open or do we just close them? Will there be a need for meditation museum? Will people want to come out there and sit and find respite? And I'm still on the fence. Like, do we just say, you know what, we're done. We're going to do everything online. We're going to have a virtual museum. We're going to have virtual meditations. And even though we've done over 100 shows and everything has been flawless so far, but it's still because we're not certain what the future holds. And, you know, it just has me kind of wondering where to go, so I'm still sort of just sitting on it. And I wonder if many people are also doing the same. Well, it's an interesting question, because I still feel like there'll be some things that experientially we want to participate in, right? Mm -hmm. But I also feel like this is another industry that's just been changed, whether you call it an industry or not, but our educational system. People are recognizing this is the time for the shift. Kids don't have to be in school, neither do others to get their degree, but we've got all these other either online courses or even YouTube where people can learn some amazing things and actually become more relevant to their marketplace rather than what school had given them. And so I think we're going to see some big shifts there. But about museums and these kinds of things, I mean, to be honest with you, I love museums. I'm a big advocate of that. Whenever I travel around the world, I make sure that I put in extra time so I can actually see historical things or museums. In fact, I travel a lot to London, England, and that's one of the highlights to go visit things like the British Museum or the National Gallery or whatever, right? Like, I love that kind of stuff. So I really hope that those kinds of experiential things remain intact. Because even though we can learn about those on the Internet... It's not the same. No, this is the artist in me speaking, is that I believe that when you're looking at a painting like a Van Gogh or a Picasso or a Monet, I mean, there's a love affair that occurs. I'm sorry, but you really feel a connection to that that you can't get from observing it in a small (laughs) iPad or a laptop. It's just not the same. And so I really hope that the passion of the human race keeps things like that alive for us.
Me too. I've been really enjoying our conversation. Anything you'd also like to share with our amazing listeners? It's been really a delight talking with you. Well, I I think the cool thing is about this film, How Thoughts Become Things, is maybe to address the other side of the pandemic, and that's fear, right? And in the film, we talk a lot about fear. And the funny thing that most people don't get is that fear is actually a source of power. It's not a source of limitation if it's understood correctly. And one of my favorite things that I received so far, like I get emails every day from people that have seen the film and found it a blessing in their life. But I got a specific letter that really touched me and I think probably realistically changed me. It was from an 11-year-old boy, and he wrote to me, and he said, you know, I was bullied at school. In fact, I would even try and find a new way to get home so that I could avoid these bullies because I knew if I saw them, they would hurt me. And then he said, I was also afraid at school because I think I have a learning disability, and I don't know that a lot of things make sense. And so I'm afraid about my future. If I can't figure out school, what's going to happen to me? And he says, but the biggest thing scaring me right now is what's going on with COVID. He said, I see a lot of the adults around me afraid, and that." freaks me out. And that's his experience. He goes, seeing the adults without an answer is hard. He said in the majority of the conversations around COVID thus far on the news and elsewhere have been directed towards adults. Nobody has really talked to us kids about this, and I am terrified. And he said, when I saw the film and I began to understand what fear is and the place that it actually deserves in my life, that fear actually is a healthy emotion and feeling and interpretation And when my imagination can look at fear in a new way, that suddenly I become empowered and fear becomes a driving force within me rather than the paralyzing considered to be. And so for me, that was a really interesting and powerful letter to hear. I would invite everybody to come see the film, especially if you're wondering what place fear has in your life. And maybe it's not just a fear of the COVID. Maybe it's a fear, am I enough? Is my self-worth intact? Do I have the ability to do this? Can I make this work? Can I succeed? How do I thrive and survive in, in an economy that's unknown and, and misunderstood? So I think we've really got some powerful tools there that can really help a person to tap into their greater self, their brilliance, if you will, and find a way to build something more powerful. And so I'm really glad that we've been able to accomplish that. Well, you're going to like this story that I'm going to share with you because – Yesterday, when I was in the office with Antonia, we had a wonderful visitor of a young boy called Akshay, brilliant young man who joins his mother to watch my nightly broadcast on spiritual vaccine. And I asked Akshay, I say, Akshay, would you like to join us to watch this film and tell me what you think and if you have any questions you'd like me to ask Doug? And can I tell you, Akshay says, oh my God, this is so deep. This is so powerful. And he kept rewinding your film. And he kept going back. And he kept taking notes. And a lot of the questions that I asked you today were from Akshay. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, that's cool. And that's how powerful this young boy was because he looked at the program. We were all there together looking at it. And he was just so fascinated by what he was learning through the production. So I want to tell everyone, I mean, if you've got a good hour, a little bit over, please watch this movie, especially with your family, because everyone in the house will begin to value the power of your thought process, and they'll begin to believe that if the family thinks the same way together, they could manifest amazing things. That's exactly right. I appreciate you bringing that up. That's very cool. It's always exciting to see the difference that we can make with this film, because 
you know, when you're making the film and you're in the thick of it, obviously, as I'm interviewing these people, I'm learning a lot and I'm gaining a lot of value and I'm discovering things that I want to learn. But it's not until you start sharing it with other people that you actually find the real lessons, the real value in things and how it changes people and open up the door to their possibilities. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. That makes it all worthwhile. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for doing it. I think it's fantastic. And I think we would love to do a screening. We'll talk more about it. It really is a great movie, everyone. You really have to go and watch it. What's the best website for folks to get on to watching it or becoming affiliated to the movie or so on? Could you give us the website? Sure. Yeah, and I'm grateful that you mentioned affiliates because it's true. We do want to share the wealth with this. So if your income stream is struggling right now, come and join us as a partner. It could definitely be a great income stream for you. So here we go. You can head over to www.howthoughtsbecomethings.com. Again, that's www.howthoughtsbecomethings.com. Just the name of the movie. As you head there, one of the cool things is, is right now when you get How Thoughts Become Things, we actually have decided that we don't want this just to be a movie that you view. We want it to be a movie that changes you. So we've included a free workbook that you can use to actually internalize the principles that actually it was designed with neuroscience in mind so that it actually changes you as you do the exercises. And there's some audios and interviews. In fact, there's even an opportunity there for you to access all of my other movies as well. So head over to howthoughtsbecomethings.com and you'll find all of those elements there for you. Beautiful. Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? about how they should use their thoughts. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things that I think is important to remember is that it's true that what we dwell on is what we become. And so where we direct our focus doesn't only dictate where our energies are, but it dictates everything, what we'll see, how we'll see it, what we choose to take action on and so forth. And so I'm going to just encourage you to believe the best thoughts about yourself to believe the best thoughts about the opportunities that are there for you and to always look for the opportunity for good. And you'll find that, again, if we focus not on immediate gratification, but expand in the long term, we must expand who we are before we can expand what we have. If we'll do that, I'm confident that in the end we'll be happy and we'll also be more abundant, and that's important. Very well said. Thank you so much, Doug. It's been a delight having you on air. I love your work. So lots of good wishes and continued success, and be well and be safe. Thank you for having me. All the best. Take care, brother. So that was Doug Vermeeren, and again, he has left us with so much to contemplate on. Everything made sense. I have so many takeaways from our discussion together one in particular, which is something I really believe a lot in, you know, really be mindful with who you spend your most time with. I was almost screeching when he said that because I thought about my mom. <laughs> and those of you who know Sister Gita know what she's like. And she's beautiful. By the way, her spirit is just beautiful. You know, when they're going through dementia and Alzheimer's, it's quite an interesting experience. But needless to say, I'm still in control of my thoughts. Remember that. And you will learn that from Doug's movie. You and I are in control of what we choose to think. It's not about an outside environment. It's what you believe. It's what you are thinking. It's what you're feeling. And we can do this. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. Please remember to pause every hour and hour for your traffic control. 
Take a moment of your inner peace and your power and spread that around the world, but definitely in your country, which needs it so badly. Take care. Here's Kristen Hoffman, La Rose. You be well. Take care. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? 
because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.